Most of the male runners figured if any woman wants to run 26 miles in a driving rain, let her run. But veteran Boston trainer Jock Semple thought the whole thing was silly. No, there's enough competition for women. What the heck? Why did they want to tackle the, the, the toughest thing in the world? It's just the women and their stubbornness just want to do something that they're not supposed to do. That's all there is to it. You know that. You're married. That was 50 years ago. In the time since, women have made remarkable progress towards equality in sport. Today, 40% of all athletes are women, and yet women still receive less than 4% of media coverage. The Iron Woman podcast wants to help change that. We interview female professional athletes and other remarkable women making breakthroughs in endurance, sport, and research. So that when I grow up, I will have heroes. I'm Alyssa Gadeski. I'm Haley Chura. And I'm Rosalie. And you're listening to the Iron Women Podcast. Haley, do you know what our most popular Iron Women episode has been so far? I do, Alyssa, because you know I love the numbers, and it goes back to fall of 2017 when we interviewed exercise physiologist Stacey Sims. You are right, and do you know what Stacey Sims has been up to these days? I've heard she's working with Noon Hydration to help formulate some products that have the female endurance athlete in mind. Noon Hydration products have clean quality ingredients and are also non-GMO project verified, which means top quality ingredients for your body and the planet. Noon Hydration offers a range of hydration products for all your workout and recovery needs. My personal favorite is Noon Sport Fruit Punch flavor. What's yours, Alyssa? I like the Noon Sport in the grape flavor and our listeners can go to noonlife.com and shop with a 30% off code of Iron Women to find out their favorite flavor. And don't forget to let us know. That's noonlife.com with the code Iron Women for 30% off. And now, the ladies you've been waiting for, Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. Bye for now. Hi, Haley. I feel like it's been a while since I've been able to say happy race week for you. This is exciting. Except that it isn't race week. It's the week before race week. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay, though. I I was a little bit concerned there for a second. I was like, wait, what race am I doing this Did I make you nervous? This was a test. This is definitely a test just to make sure that you scheduled all of your things for the right time and that your training is like not quite taper time yet. I don't know. This is okay. Apparently, yeah, I need to look at the calendar. Um, how's it going, Alyssa? How are you doing? Are you we feeling can save all this intro for next week, maybe. <laughs> I am feeling recovered. Well, apparently my mind maybe needs some more sleep, but yeah, I bounced back pretty good from Eagle Man and I'm actually not racing for a little while, which is maybe why I'm so excited for you to be racing or something like that. I don't know. But my next race is going to be Ironman Copenhagen in August. So I have a little bit of time here before we get into a big block uh, in July. But I'm just kind of enjoying some fun parts of summer. I got to do one of my favorite big 100-mile loops. You can leave from my doorstep and ride out to the mountains, and you get to go up on Skyline Drive, and you're on Skyline for about 45 miles. And 
there's this little place that you can stop for food halfway up there, and they have really good French fries and grilled cheese and blackberry ice cream and Mountain Dew. And Haley, whenever I drink Mountain Dew, I think of you still from like the early, early days. <laughs> oh, I'm so honored. That's like my goal in life, my legacy to be that um, when people drink Mountain Dew, they think of me. But um, that sounds nice. That sounds like a, you know, nice segue from one race, kind of building into the block for the next one. But sounds like... And what a- are you doing then? So if it's not race week, are you, you know... Feeling good getting ready for going into race week next week? What's life like? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's not taper time yet. So I'm, I'm still a little bit in the fog, in the haze, sleeping or sleeping as much as I can, training pretty hard and looking forward to race week, but plenty of time. And this is a nice one. Coeur d'Alene 70.3 I have, and it'll be a week and a half from when this interview comes out. It's one of my favorites and... I am the defending champion, two-time defending champion. So that will be kind of fun. You don't get to say that very often. And it's a, a race I can drive to, a lot of local Bozeman people racing. So definitely something I'm looking forward to in a week and a half. <laughs> Oops. All right. Well, I'll get ready to re-ask you that question in a week. But anyway, this month, Haley, we do have June's in full swing. And we have our noon and live feisty contest going on. So... If people haven't heard, you can enter to win some very exciting prizes that we've teamed up with Noon for. So they are selecting two lucky winners to receive a year's worth of Noon and a one-on-one consultation with Dr. Stacey Sims. Huge prizes, things you can't even just buy in the store. All you have to do is enter your name and email address when you go to livefeisty.noonlife.com. That's how easy it is. Easy to enter, name, email address. And if you didn't hear that website, it is livefeisty.noonlife.com. Definitely enter your supply of noon and a one-on-one consultation with Dr. Stacey Sims. Those are great, great prizes. And thank you to everyone who has already entered. I think you have until July 7th. Is that right? Yes, you have until July 7th. And Haley, what's your favorite noon flavor you've been using recently? I really like the lemon-lime noon endurance. I think that is my my favorite. So that's the one that has like a little more calories in it. So I use that on, I think they say any workout that lasts more than 90 minutes, but I sometimes use it on workouts that last less than 90 minutes because it tastes so good. (laughs) And sometimes I'm hungry and I want some calories, but that is my current favorite. How about you? I've been doing a lot of the, the watermelon noon sport. That seems to be my, my current go-to. Yeah. That's my sister's favorite flavor too. And I haven't tried it yet, but I need to, because I don't, I don't know why I, did, I just didn't, I haven't tried it, but that's on my to-do list. Cause everyone says such great things about watermelon. Mm-hmm. It's a very good summertime, like crisp, refreshing flavor. So that's just, that's just what I've been doing, but um, everyone can enter to win with a year supply of noon. You could try all the flavors over and over and change your favorite one all the time. Cause you're going right. to have enough noon for a year. And if you can't wait until the contest, contest results are announced, you can always go to noonlife.com and use the code IRONWOMEN to get 30% off. Haley, we did have a full mailbag this week, so people can always send mailbag questions in to us at ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com, and we will have them on an upcoming episode and try and take an answer or try and make an answer for you, I guess. So our first mailbag this week is from Anne and she has 
a question about nutrition, but not the content of nutrition. And But she's curious about how we get the nutrition. So on a relatively flat bike course, she has no issues. But when she's been racing in a hilly area, she's having trouble figuring out like when to be eating when she's going like up and down hills. Her heart rate is up. Her respiration is up. All of that. It's really hard to eat. And she doesn't do liquid nutrition. So when she's going down the hill, seems like a good time to eat. But, well, she needs her hands on the bike for, like, safety and steering and stuff. So what are our thoughts? How do you how do you handle this, Haley? I've always kind of been told and told myself that it's better to eat when the race is slow. Like, eat and drink when the race is slow. So that means when you are going up a hill. I mean, I guess your heart rate is harder. But I think you're going a little slower so you're not and you're not going to lose that much time like reaching down and grabbing something so it can be a little bit easier to to get some some calories in and maybe it is if you have to like you know give yourself 30 seconds and let that heart rate come down a little bit so you can get something in that probably is worth it especially in longer races yeah and i think preparation there is really key like just making sure if you have bars or something that are in a wrapper that you like preemptively maybe tear open the packaging. So it's a little bit easier even to get it like open and things like that. Or, you know, just anything you could kind of prep. Like if you could even put things in a little baggie ahead of time and then just have the baggie sitting in a bento box or something on your bike. So it's super easy to like reach in, grab a smaller one and then pop that into your mouth. But yeah, like I would say if I've always wondered why there's been like no pictures of me really. I'm sure other people haven't been this lucky and you can send them to us if you have them. But I'm just waiting for the day when I get that bike picture where like my mouth is stuffed and it's like half coming out of my mouth because I'm like chewing, but I'm breathing really hard and I'm drooling and it's like full on ugly style breathing as you're working hard and racing up this hill. Right. So that's okay. And that's like, that's part of the fun of fun of triathlon, I guess. No one buys those pictures. When you get your finisher picks emails, you're like 7,000 finisher picks emails and you go through and you see the one of you eating, you're like X. Nope. <laughs> not spending yeah, $25 not worth on the, that worth one. $60 for that. <laughs> $60. Apparently six, there's $60. I no, like I, no, I just made that up. I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. But no, that is a good question. question. It is hard. Yeah. I mean, or she can practice it. I was going to say like practice it. Yeah, definitely practice, but she is, I would say, on the slower portions, she's right, like her hunch there is correct. So you want to keep your hands and you want to keep your focus when you're going faster and you're going downhill. Our next question, Haley, come, came from Instagram, and I don't know her name, but her handle is Tryin Styles. And she had a question, another nutrition question, but this is more nutrition related, and she wants to know what we think about intermittent fasting as a triathlete. Do we do it? And what's the ideal window. And Haley, when I read this question, this question was actually great for me this week because for the very first time in like a really long time, I fasted Haley because I was doing my yearly blood work for my doctor. And so I couldn't eat from 10 PM until my appointment at 9 30 AM. And that was the longest I've ever purposefully fasted. And I would never be able to do it on purpose, like otherwise. So that's my like once yearly intermittent fasting. So it had nothing to do with any sort of nutritional like windows or kind of, you know, routine or anything like that. So that is not something I have experience with or really think I could handle. What about you? What, what is intermittent fasting? I mean, I, I think I need a little, like I've heard this term thrown around a lot. Is it like where you skip breakfast? I mean, is that basically what it is? 
I think, well, this goes to show that even if we come up with an answer, guys, you probably shouldn't listen to our answer because we're not really sure what this is. But I think it's when you, I think people these days are saying like between 8 p.m. and 8 a.m. you shouldn't eat. Like you should eat all of your food within like a 10 or a 12 hour window during the day. Sometimes I think it's bigger or shorter depending on what the goal of it is. But again, that to me sounds like it would make me more tired and more hungry than I already am a lot of the time and I don't I don't think that's a stress I needed need to add (laughs) right yeah I don't know I think any nutritional decisions you make are pretty personal and I personally have never have never done anything like intermittent fasting I breakfast is like my favorite meal of the day and so for me I mean I guess maybe there's a way you can do it where you're skipping dinner or something like that and that one I wouldn't mind as much I'll just go to bed early but I find honestly getting enough calories in when when you're training hard is hard and so if you purposely have times when you don't have enough calories I think that I mean you're going to you risk you know performance you know just having your peak performance because you aren't as fueled, I think that you risk injury. And if you're doing this for weight loss, honestly, I think there are some, you know, other things that can help a little bit more with weight loss. I think looking at the composition of what you're eating and looking at your sleep, I find that, you know, getting more sleep helps me a lot with body composition. And and maybe that is it. Like if you are getting 12 hours of sleep, it's really easy to do 12 hours of fasting. So maybe that is sort of a type of intermittent fasting. If you are getting lots and lots of sleep, I don't know. I, I, yeah, yeah, I guess I'm I don't really feel qualified to answer this question. We don't, we do get a lot of questions on like eating and what we eat and everything. And I always kind of go back to like, I just listen to my body. And if it's hungry, I have, you know, I'll eat if I'm hungry before bed, like I try and eat something, you know, I'm not going to have an entire sleeve of Oreos, even though I would love to, but like, I'll try and make a good decision about what I'm eating, but like, I'm certainly not going to deprive myself of stuff if I'm hungry at any time of the day, that kind of thing. So because I do, I think not listening to what your body's telling you in that sense can like elevate your stress, which raises your stress hormones. And I'm, I'm not sure of the effect of all of that. So again, yeah, you might want to ask someone who has some more knowledge other than us, but we tried. So sorry about that. Haley, we have a third mailbag question today, and this is from Erica. She is trying to figure out if Eagleman 70.3 is still considered a pro qualifying race by placing in the top three amateurs. So for listeners who might not know, one of the qualifications in the United States to get your pro card is that if there is a race with a professional field and it's above Fifteen thousand dollars. Twenty twenty thousand. Sorry, above twenty thousand dollars is a prize purse, and your gender of pro field is also racing. Then it would be a pro qualifying race. But since Eagle Man had the swim canceled, she's curious if USAT would still recognize this as a qualifying event for road triathlon. And similarly, Chattanooga had the swim shortened, so they didn't do the same swim course as the pros, and so. She's not sure if this also removes the opportunity for people hoping to qualify as a pro. I am qualified to answer this question because I I, uh, I did a little research for Erica and I emailed I actually emailed a representative at USA Triathlon. So who knows exactly what's going on? So in the first case, in the case of Chattanooga, I'll start with Chattanooga. 
where I guess in the USAT criteria, it says an elite qualifying race must have a corresponding elite race in the same distance. So I asked for some clarification from USAT on that because last month in Chattanooga, the professionals swam the full 1.2 mile swim course while the amateur swim was shortened. And USAT came back and said that if weather changes the course during the race, um, and that's what's caused the shortening to happen, it's still considered an elite qualifying race. And when they say, you know, same course distance, they're actually trying to make sure it's, you know, Olympic versus half iron versus iron, making sure that you're racing basically the same distance. So in that case, yes, Chattanooga 70.3, even with that shortened swim course for the amateurs, is considered an elite qualifying race. In the second case of Eagle Man, when the swim was canceled and it was a duathlon, does that still qualify as an elite qualifying race? And the answer there is yes again, because if the race cancels the swim less than 24 hours before the start of the event, it is still considered and ranked by USAT as a triathlon. So hopefully that uh, helps Erica out and anyone else who was trying to use Chattanooga 70.3 or Eagle Man as an elite qualifying race. And congratulations. If you place top three under criteria F, you are eligible for your pro card. Woo! That's exciting. (laughs) And Haley, we have a very fun interview for people this week. And I think we kind of teased this a few weeks ago because you had to do some extra credit, extracurricular activities for us to nail this interview. We have been teasing this week's interview for, I think, nearly a month. But if it's a fantastic story, this week on the podcast, we have Molly Hayes. And Molly Hayes is a triathlete with a lot of nicknames. To many, she's known as Montana Molly. And I've read at least one newspaper headline referring to her as the unsinkable Molly Hayes. Molly competed in her first triathlon in 1986 when she was in her mid-50s. And 30-plus years later, now 86, she's still racing. Molly has finished more than 300 races around the globe. She's both a close friend and fierce competitor with the other women in the 80- and 90-year-old age groups. She lives and trains in Bozeman, Montana. And if you think us living in the same town meant I had an easy time getting an interview with her, think again. Molly agreed to sit down with me only after an open-water swim... And open water swimming in Montana in May means 49 degree water temperatures. So the swim happened and it was just as cold as a 49 degree swim sounds. But when Montana Molly says she's going to do something, she does it. And as we clutched our hot apple cider for warmth against the wind, we did the interview right there on the edge of the pond where we just swam. It was a special experience for me, and I think even after more than 300 races, Molly learned there were still another triathlon first for her to check off her list, and that was being on a triathlon podcast. So we'll have Molly's interview for you right after the break. Hey, Alyssa, have you ever come out of a race with a really bad sunburn? I sure have. My very first Kona, I'll never forget. It was awful. Well, I think I have a product for you. Zelio Sun Barrier SPF 45 is a zinc-based and water-resistant sunscreen. It's long-lasting, oil-free, and won't sting your eyes. I've used it, and it works great. I'll have to try it because I have heard that Zelio's products are designed and tested by champion triathletes like Heather Jackson, Lindsay Corbin, Jesse Thomas, and Rachel McBride. Wait, did you forget someone? Oh, that's right. And our very own Haley Chura. 
Well, Zelio's products are made with high quality and long lasting ingredients to stand the test of the hottest days, sweatiest training sessions, and toughest elements. They give athletes like us confidence and peace of mind to perform at our best without worrying about our skin or hair products. The products you won't want to train or compete without are the Sun Barrier SPF 45, the Twix Chamois Cream, Swim and Sport Shower Products, and the Body Lotion. You can use the code IRONWOMEN at teamzelios.com to get 20% off. So Molly, when I asked you if you would come on the podcast, what, do you remember what you told me? I don't know what a podcast is. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> but when I asked if I could interview you for this pod, like do this interview, what did you, what did you say? Well, sure. Let's go out and have an open water swim. Open water swim in late May in Bozeman, Montana. And, and you went out and checked the water temperature. And do you remember what that water temperature was when you sure. first checked it? It was 46. And, and that didn't deter you at all. Yeah. So we did. We came out, we swam. And what did the water temperature end up being? It's 49. How did that feel? Was that cold it's at all? It's brisk. Yes, it is cold. Yes. But um, but this is, it's not even the coldest swim you've ever done, right? No, I think New Zealand was colder. It was um, an aquathlon um, before the the race, before the triathlon, and it was, I think, 44, people said. And so it, 49 felt just like a bathtub today. No, no. <laughs> no, still. So you've done colder. Well, you've done almost, you've done what, like 300 races? 333. Pulled out of the water 12 times and one heat stroke. So pretty, that's, those are the only times you didn't finish. Were those ones? Yep. That's a great finishing rate. So I want to ask about your most recent, your most recent race. So you just raced St. Anthony's, the St. Anthony's Sprint Triathlon, and you won the women's 85 to 89 age group. Huge congratulations. <laughs> Can you tell me about that day? Yeah, it was a good day. Um, just got in and swam. We had to wade out uh, through quite a bit of seaweed and... It was just the salt water was buoyant and felt refreshing and nice, and I just got in and started swimming and um, didn't get swam over, got a couple of weak little kicks, but made it right to the last buoy, and then pretty soon you could feel the seaweed on your legs again and got out. was just kept going. Um, and, and you'd done a practice swim there. I think you, you had told me in the weeks before the race that you were really excited for the race, but not just the race, because you were planning to meet up with the St. Pete Mad Dogs Triathlon Club yes. for their pre-race training swim at the same beach. I think it was the Friday before the race. So It, was, did, it wasn't the same beach, though. It oh, okay. was the Gulf of Mexico. Oh. And it was very rough that day. And Jackie Yost, uh, she's 91 now, um, she and I kind of hung together. We waded out through a lot of the surf, but you had to get all the way out past the surf before you could swim. Uh, they have it marked off. They swim to a certain hotel, and it's a mile. And Jackie and I did not do that. It was rough, and it was way cooler than uh, the Tampa Bay 
uh, where the St. Anthony's Triathlon is. Oh, so. so you were so you were so ready for the race because yes. you had practiced in much worse condition. And you did the Mad Dogs live up to the hype? Because I think you were telling me about some they of these howl rituals when three or more of the Mad Dog uh, triathletes are together. They howl. They didn't howl that much that day. Uh, they were they were more quiet. They weren't rowdy at all. There were maybe I think twenty six. Twenty six of them. Yeah, but and did you get to howl with them? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> There's always always something new to look forward to in every race, right? Yes, there is. Even when you've every, done 333. Every, yeah, every race is different. It's... So you mentioned Jackie Yost, 91 years old, who is a member of the Mad Dogs, and I believe she's also a friend. And you two did compete before she aged up into the 90 to 94 age group. Is that right? Yes, the so, year before. And... Can you tell me a little about, bit about your relationship with Jackie and the other women in the 80 and 90 year old age groups? We're all nice friends and you see each other at nationals and at, at worlds and it's just like you haven't had a year between seeing each other again. And it's the, the bond is the triathlon and just leading up to it and uh, it's just good being together <laughs> are you guys I mean you race each other though right I mean you've talked about racing sister Madonna and you know what races they're going to be at and there's a little bit of competition going on you just always do your best and you're you're happy with where you finish I don't think anyone really puts that surge of adrenaline to beat the other person you put it out there to do your best but it's probably fun knowing knowing you have some other people in your age group and you have a little bit of competition yes I used to uh, look for gray hair and then find out their age group just so you could keep everyone on your radar yes Um, but I always knew I never could beat Sister Madonna Never, ever. No. She is just such an incredible, skilled athlete. She really is. But I feel like, I think you've told me, you have a little bit of an advantage with the cold water swimming, right? Yeah. She doesn't, she avoids the cold water races. But you don't? No. I'm more motivated to go when I know she's not going to be there. <laughs> so Molly, I believe you raced your first triathlon in 1986. I did. The sport was pretty new then, and you were in your mid 50s. What first drew you to the sport? I was hiking with my husband, who was just a boyfriend, in Mount Baker on some of the trails, and I saw a guy coming, and he had um, swim, bike, and run uh, pictures on his shirt. And it was, uh, his shirt said, Whiskey Dick Triathlon. And I thought, what a weird name. And so I just stopped and talked to him. And he told me about, yeah, you just get in, get in the lake and you swim and then you ride your bike and then you run. And that sounded pretty cool because I had done four marathons and all I did was bike and run and I'm a good swimmer so I thought I'm going to figure out where to you know where that race is 
And so I found out where it was and entered, and it was uh, July of 86, and my husband was just a boyfriend, and it was a point-to-point. -point. You swam in the Columbia River, and it was over a mile, three knots of current, and then 38 um, bike, and I had a three-speed bike, and I had a picnic lunch in the basket on the front to eat as I biked along. And you had to go up 2,000 elevation gain was the little Whiskey Dick Hill. And then you left your bike there and ran eight and a half into uh, Ellensburg. And Sister Madonna was at that race, but we were not in the same age group. So I won my age group and she won hers. And we got a telegram. And that the telegram said, you qualified for Kona. Well, sister did Kona, but I never did. I never had the endurance, the money. I always had to work, so I never did do it. But it was amazing to get a telegram that I qualified for Kona. A little different than, I guess, the email and the coin and all the fanfare that you get these days. Yeah. I don't know what, what you'd get, but I know it's a, it's a, it was a thrill even then. So Molly, I'm sure you've seen a lot of change during your athletic career, not just in triathlon, but in all women's sports. Katherine Switzer's famous run at the Boston Marathon didn't happen until 1967, when you were in your 30s. Do you remember what that time was like when women were first getting the opportunity to participate in endurance sports? No, I don't. I'm not quite sure I understand what you mean. Was it was it hard? Like when you know women haven't always done endurance sports and when you were in your 20s and even your 30s we just didn't see women running marathons and now women you know make up huge populations of marathon entries and half marathons and even ultra marathons and triathlons so what was it like to be one of the first women to be doing endurance sports was it scary was it hard no no I don't know I just always have been active but I never thought of it as being different, really. I just did it. I was raised on Camino Island, and we were a poor fishing family, and we didn't get to do a lot of other things. I mean, I never had ballet. I mean, we lived out in the country, and I don't know. I just was active always. I read online, hopefully this is true, that you ran a marathon in Iran in 1978. I did. April what was that like? I just did it. I, I worked for Bell Helicopter, and um, when I hired on with Bell Helicopter as an uh, industrial nurse um, in Iran, I had just run the Seaside Oregon Marathon, and so they had always wanted um, one of their women employees to run the Persian Marathon. And so they kept me in shoes and everything. And I'd worked for them about a year by the time the Persian Marathon came up. And I was going to run in um, white shorts and a singlet. And it had BHI for Bell Helicopter International, Bell Operation Corporation. And it, I had to take the train from Isfahan, Iran, to Tehran by myself. 
and then some um, Bell helicopter people picked me up and housed me that night and then took me to the race site. Started in the Armir Stadium in Tehran where the Pan Am Games were held. And I was told before I left Isfahan by security that things were getting kind of tight um, politically and uh, so I couldn't they thought it would be not very good to run in the shorts that they'd given me. But then it kind of blew over a little bit, so I did wear shorts, and I had rocks and uh, manure thrown, donkey dung, you know, thrown at me. During the race? Yeah, during the race. And did you ever were, think about stopping? There, <laughs> you wouldn't dare stop. And there were... There were no uh, rest stations. Um, I had homemade kind of energy bars with peanut butter and seeds and things. And you just ran. And I finished third overall. There were 213 women that ran, German and French and some British people and ladies. And you just ran 44K and finished. And then, but I was the only American woman that ever finished, ever, that, ever, yeah. Wow. It was the ninth Persian marathon, and that's why Bell Helicopter had wanted an American to run it, and and you were that American. I was. Yeah. You don't. Do I still got the trophy in my mudroom. So, but you never felt out of place, even when they're throwing rocks at you. No, you just kind of laugh and, you know, you. everybody is different and you're in their culture and they do accept you. You know, it was, Bell Helicopter was the big operation in Iran. They sold the poor Shah, I think. 5,000 helicopters, some huge, huge number of helicopters, and then they had to build a factory in, it was out of Isfahan a little bit, but uh, to, to furnish the parts for all the helicopters. I mean, it was huge. So going back to triathlon, okay. you won the 75 to 79 age group Olympic distance ITU world championship in both 2007 and 2008, and the sprint distance in 2009. And the Olympic distance. Oh, second. Yeah, when you were second in the Olympic yeah. distance in 2009. Sister Madonna and I, we did the Olympic, and I got second. And then we all, we came back the next day for the sprint, and Sister Madonna was there and said prayers for all of us, about seven or eight of us in the old age group. And then Sister tapped me, have a good race. I'm going to Mass. And so that's the only way I got the gold. <laughs> ah, you don't know that. You don't know that. You have to start to, you have to start. You did, you were the one who started the race, but you mentioned, you know, 333 triathlons. You've had, you know, you stood on the world championship podiums. Do you have a race that stands out as your best performance or do you think maybe it hasn't happened yet? Oh, I was good once. I mean, I was pretty good but I'll never be that ever again. What? But I love the St. Anthony races I because it's warm. <laughs> the St. Anthony race in St. Petersburg is just wonderful. 
and I'll go do it again this next year too. Well, despite loving the warm of Florida, you live and train in Bozeman, Montana. And while we do have a few local races, you spent a lot of your career traveling all over the world. Traveling to races with all the gear that you need for triathlon can be really intimidating. Do you have any travel tips that you can share for someone who might be listening and might be like a little nervous about traveling to a race? I think Sister Madonna has travel down perfect. She has her bike and she has a pack sack and that's all she ever takes and she still looks wonderful. She's, you know, she can look dressed up, she can look casual and she never takes a lot of gear and I always overtake stuff. And <laughs> Me too. And I gradually, I've pared it down and I'm trying to take minimal I mean, your bike bag is the important thing, and your your race gear. And what about with your bike? Can you tell us about the bike you ride? I ride a bike Friday, and I love my little bike Friday. So it just folds up into a regular suitcase. <laughs> into a Samsonite large suitcase. Yep. Is that what you train on all the time too? It's the only thing I ride. Yep. I feel safe on it. It's just me. I I've had a soft ride and I had a felt but I've had the bike Friday now since 2008 when I did Hamburg and Hamburg was cold that the backwater of the Baltic we saw people with uh, bike Fridays and I had my felt there and they wouldn't when I paid to have it shipped back from Hamburg they kept it in customs, and they kept. I didn't get my bike back for five months. Oh! And then um, we had to pay extra money because they they made it like I had bought the bike there. So then the bike Friday by the time 2008 and it went uh, Vancouver, and that was a bloody cold in English Bay. That was like 52 or 53 degrees. Then I've used the bike Friday ever since then. And that makes things much easier. You just fly with it, yeah. just put it in a regular suitcase. You don't have to pay any extra fees. Yeah. That is brilliant. <laughs> Very. <laughs> Molly, as you've raced into your 80s, what modifications have you made to your racing and your training? Have you changed anything? I'm slower as I'm on the bike and the run. So I try to make transition just almost nothing. I don't put on socks, I don't do a lot of things. I just, and I try and make myself um, stand up. I never want to sit down on the ground because it's harder to get up. I have to turn over and get up on all fours and it's very embarrassing. That's it, That's what, everything <laughs> else is the same. Do you, uh, like, when you're, do you train as many hours as you did when you were younger, or do you train more hours no, now? No, I, I don't train as much. I used to love to get, like, a 30-mile bike, and now, because I can only do the sprint, well, 15 or 18 miles is, is good, and... Does that, do you, does that make you, do you miss the long rides, or is, is... 15 to 18, you're like, I feel good. I, that makes me yeah. feel good, and I'm ready to be done. I don't like to be really worn out uh, after training, and I don't want to finish 
that's why I never did really long distance races. I don't want to be just wasted, like Sister Madonna says. Oh, Molly, you look just wasted. Because <laughs> <laughs> I always had to work the next day, and I have a husband, and you have to have, you know, you want to be a proper wife, and you cook, and you shop, and you do, you know, your housekeeping, but you still find time for training and for races. You have to make it balance. You can't make it just about you and what you want to do. And you got to make sure you have the all the sandwiches ready for the after party after the swim, <laughs> yeah. right? So there might be men and women who often think they're too old to try something new, like triathlon. What do you say to those people? Just do it. Just If you really want to, just get up and, and, and go for it and try it in, in little bits and pieces. You know, just try it small at first. And do you have any races that are still on your bucket list? Yes, there's one I really want to do. But uh, So I have, you know, the four, uh, Bozeman, and then uh, Loveland, Colorado, and then Helena, and then um, Boulder. And then I've entered Nationals, so I'll do Cleveland. But the one I want to do for my 87th birthday is Key West. I really would love to do that. When is that? That's December 8th and 9th. Is that your actual birthday? Yep, 87. Oh. But I don't dare tell Tom yet. I've got to get through these, and if I do okay at, at uh, Worlds, then maybe about October I'll see if I can maybe do it for my 87th birthday. I love Key West. After I did St. Anthony's in 2017, I found a little um, Bell helicopter money that I, it was in a retirement fund, and I didn't realize or remember that I had um, signed up for retirement. And so I had this little bucket of money, about 7,000. So I did St. Anthony's and then a whole week at Key West, eight days at Key West. And that water is better than anything in Hawaii. It's, uh, it's, you can relax in it. You're not going to have bad critters and currents. And so anyway, I really want to do that. Well, Molly, I will, I will have my fingers crossed that everything goes well for you in these next four races, and um, maybe you will get that chance to go to Key West. But thank you so much for... Um, if Tom hears that, I don't want him to... <laughs> Does Tom know what a podcast is? No, I don't even know what a podcast is. Perfect, perfect. Your secret's safe. But um, it's safe on the Internet. No one ever knows anything that's on the Internet. But thank you so much, Molly, and good luck with all your training. Now okay. let's go get warm. Okay. Wahoo is dedicated to the journey of every athlete from a sprint to Ironman. Wahoo is with you every pedal stroke, every stride, and every trying moment with the commitment to make you better. As endurance athletes themselves, Wahoo provides an ecosystem of products, including Kicker Smart Trainers, Element Bike Computers, and Ticker Heart Rate Monitors to provide exactly what you need to reach the finish line and smash your training goals. Haley, this interview really got me thinking. What is a podcast?
It's a great question, Alyssa. It's a hard thing to describe, but I think I came up with the definition or my own definition. I didn't actually Google this, but it's kind of a self-published internet radio, right? Like, I guess it doesn't even have to be self-published. We don't necessarily publish this ourselves. Live Feisty publishes it for us, but you can self-publish. It's like a a blog for your ears, (laughs) but we have interviews. (laughs) Yeah, I think, but there's all sorts of them. So that makes sense, I think. Or like a radio show. It's like an online radio show, on demand online radio show. Cause you can, you know, it's not like you have to tune in at a certain hour to like, or you miss it, like in the olden days. Right. I know. Well, we're just like, we're, we're up with technology. It makes me feel good. And now, and Mo- now Molly's right there with us. We have one new listener. There's a, you know, we're educating people on what podcasts are telling people's stories. And if anyone is headed to the Loveland triathlon this weekend, Loveland, Colorado, I think it's the Lake to Lake triathlon. I think it's this Saturday. I believe Molly is planning to be there. So definitely say hi. She, she's the one with the 87 on her calf. So it is race week for someone. So good luck, Molly, and have some fun out there. And don't forget to our listeners, you can enter our Live Feisty Noon contest by going to livefeisty.noonlife.com and you'll enter to win all of the prizes. Have a great weekend, Alyssa. I'll talk to you next week. Bye, Haley. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe, like, and comment on iTunes. My favorite podcast hosts are Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. My favorite editor is Aaron Hamilton. The Iron Women Podcast is a live feisty media production. We want to thank our sponsors and partners, Noon Hydration, Wahoo Fitness, Zelios, Fen Coffee, FTC Nutrition, and Smash Fest Queens.